Now, if you were with us last week and you remember the shocking language that the Apostle Paul used at the end of that text, and if you barely made it through that, you might look now at the sermon title, as I know some of you have already seen, and might be thinking, what in the world is going on at First Baptist Church of Gallatin? Christian cannibalism? Are you kidding me? Really? What is our pastor thinking? From the sarcastic, seemingly over-the-top, and even cringeworthy rebuke we saw last week from the Apostle Paul to the false teachers in Galatians, now to a sermon title that sounds more like a horror film than something that you should be seeing at church. This may be the last straw, but hang in there with me. And before you get up and leave, let's quickly get to the text so you can see yourself how appropriate this sermon title really is. And would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Galatians chapter 5 and verses 13 through 15 for this. Let's see what this passage has to do with this crazy sermon title. For you were called the freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to see truths from this passage that maybe we've never seen or thought about before? Would you press to every believer's conscience truths from your word that transform our lives? Oh Lord, as we even heard today, In the prayer earlier, oh Lord, we pray, Father, that you would cause a kind of unity and love amongst the believers in this church like we've never experienced before and that you'd be glorified because of it and help us to see aspects of this even from our passage today. We say this in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. You see what I'm talking about? I bet you never thought before coming to church today that the Bible actually talks about Christian cannibals. Biting and devouring and consuming each other. Can you even believe it? It's almost unbelievable. But let me assure you, our sermon today is not just about this negative aspect of Christians metaphorically sinking their teeth into one another but it's also about the positive side as well, the Christian side. And though Christians can fall into that kind of backbiting and sin, if they are genuine believers, and that's the reality of if they're genuine believers, and that means that they're Christians. It's the Christian side of it. And that means if you're a Christian, 
that you will have that positive aspect of Christian living as well. And there will be love on the other side, even if there's a kind of sinful biting and things of that nature that goes on at times as well. So really, the sermon is going to be looking at these two contrasting points as we walk through the text. Contrasting the negative sinful practice that we can sometimes fall into, even as Christians, with the positive practice of Christian love. And this leads us to our first point, contrasting that negative with the positive. And point number one, see it on the screen there, not careless sinning, but practical loving. Let's see again, Galatians 5, 13 and 14 for this contrast. This is the word of God. Once again, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as your self. You see, this whole letter of Galatians has been Paul urging Christians back to freedom and away from the bondage of the Mosaic law-keeping after, of course, the fullness of time has come when Jesus arrived. We've seen that over and over again. Paul's been showing them in many different ways and direct practical scenarios going on in their churches as well as in Old Testament examples that they were no longer under the old covenant mosaic administration anymore but they were under the new covenant in Christ's blood things have changed when Jesus came and he told them and he's telling them you are free Christians he's calling them back to freedom and away from the law that's why many people have called the book of Galatians the magna carta of Christian liberty or Christian freedom But just as the Apostle Paul anticipated the Galatians to detract and abandon the gospel that he preached to them, or for that matter, just as he did not anticipate that, right? Remember, he was a little bit shocked that they would abandon the truth of the gospel and that they would abandon their friend and apostle. Remember, they were astonished. He was astonished that they fell so far. So concerned, how could they fall so far? So in light of seeing their failing, he now wants to add a little something uh, to deal with another issue that he could foresee happening now, now that he's seen the big mess that's gone on in the churches of Galatia. He didn't see it initially coming. Now he's seeing the potential of a pendulum swing away from the law. So Paul has been saying, we're not under the law in these ways, but we're under grace and through faith and things of that nature. He's, he's anticipating this pendulum swing, and he's like, I'm not going to make the same mistake twice. If I would have known the propensity that you would have to get stumbled up and tripped up in the race by these false teachers so easily with their legalisms, Paul's like, I would have probably spent more time warning you about that potential error and that potential problem. So now, you see, he's adding, he's getting ahead of it. Kind of like a good parent, seeing the trajectory from their 
children wanting to get ahead of some of that behavior and give some direction and some correction and some warning. So what is this new warning that he adds to balance things out? In case some of these same very Galatians might be tempted to swing so far in the other direction, away from legalism and over to a kind of license. From a works-based, law-centered to-do list that he's been going against, swinging all the way over to simply throwing out any concept of any kind of lists at all. That's the danger. That's the swing. This license to sin that sometimes Christians can fall into is a kind of anti-rule or anti-standard kind of approach to the Christian life. And Paul's warning about it. Because both legalism and licentiousness or license are both errors in different ways and are both dangerous. Like we've seen before in our Jude series that Wood has been preaching, in Jude verse 4 it says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were destined for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. You see, even professing Christians can have this kind of high-handed, lawless approach to sin, this licentiousness. I've been saved, now I've got my license to live however I want and sin however I want. You see how that is a temptation too in a different direction. Paul's getting ahead of it. Because we all know that even in the Great Commission, the famous Great Commission, that Christian disciples are to what? Obey all that Jesus taught and said. We're we're seeking to continue to teach and learn and apply our whole Christian life. So Christianity is not some kind of lawlessness, right? To live however we want. It's not at all what is going on in this gracious doctrine of justification that Paul puts forward in Galatians. By grace, through faith, not by works. It would be a misunderstanding to say that we would just, it doesn't matter how we live, we just go into a kind of lawlessness. That would be wrong, and that would be sinful. And let me just encourage everybody, though true Christians will never be full-blown legalists like the Judaizers, because if they are, they're no longer Christians, right? And they'll also never be driven to full-blown licentiousness and license to sin, like the false teachers of Jude, because if they are, they would be unbelievers. But true Christians, you see, everyone in this room who's a believer can be tempted to both sides, both to legalism and to license. How do I know that? Because Paul is dealing with just that in Galatians. He doesn't talk about this, and the book of Galatians isn't written if this wasn't possible for Christians to get tripped up in these ways. He's saying that genuine believers have even themselves here in these churches have been tripped up in the race of the Christian life into legalism and they're falling. He's calling them back. Come back to me. Don't fall into that way. Christians can be tempted into legalism. We've seen it through the whole letter. And though we've oftentimes really emphasized the way that Christians might put trust in their practices and works and things of that nature, in order to be made right before God, in order to be justified, legalism could work its way out in the Christian life in different ways as well. I was having a conversation this week with somebody on this 
term. And oftentimes, even we could get into this law-based, legalistic performance mentality with God, even in our Christian life. Even if we don't think that we're earning in order to be saved, sometimes we can work to a harsh, legalistic, burdensome approach. There's no love. There's no joy. There's no forgiveness. It's just do, 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 la, 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 be like me. That's pride. That's legalism too. Even if you're Daniel, why do you keep bringing up this whole justification thing? I, I know that I'm saved by grace and these types of things, but are you living your Christian life like a legalist? You see, people in the churches of Galatia were doing just that. This is why Paul was warning them. Christians could be drawn to that kind of legalism. And based on his warning here that we just read, Christians could also be tempted to swing the pendulum all the way over to loose and licentious and careless and wicked and sinful living a high-handed sin because I've been forgiven by Jesus. So I'm just going to party on, dude, and live it up as, as a Christian in my Christian life because I have been saved. He's warning against both dangers. Did you see that? My own testimony bears out this licentiousness from an unbelieving person's standpoint. From someone who himself, myself, was a professing believer even. Prior to my conversion when I was 18 years old, you see, I went through elementary school, junior high, and high school claiming to be a Christian because uh, I said a prayer, walked an aisle, walked another aisle, rededicated, re-rededicated my life over and over again. And I grew up in a Christian home. I had a profession of faith. I was baptized when I was 10 years old falsely because I was not a believer at the time. And I saw the grace of God as a license for immorality so that I can just continue on to live in my own sinful fleshly ways. And it really didn't matter because I got my get out of jail free ticket or I got my fire insurance and now I'm going to go to heaven and not experience judgment because I said a prayer, walked an aisle, etc., uh, etc. Et but in reality, there was no spiritual change or spiritual life in me. And so I was an unbeliever living out this licentious type of living. That's my testimony. And there are others who have similar testimonies who grow up in church in that way. But you see, that is not what Christianity is. For Christianity includes this key factor of actually being born again, to being transformed, a changed life. You're different. You're no longer the way you used to be. You're different. You want to turn away from your sin. You no longer are seeking sin as an excuse. You're not that kind of license way, but you're a kind of Christian repentant way as you fight sin. Not perfect, but you are You've got life. You've got spiritual heartbeat. You are a believer. You're a child of God. You're not going to go that way. So you see, my testimony is all about being self-assured and feeling saved, but in reality, just being deceived in my licentiousness and my license, fake gospel, not being genuinely converted. Then one day, God was pleased to save me and to transform this young man who was licentious and sinful and had a false gospel, and then I get saved. Praise God. 
But even for those kind of transformations, and some people have a similar testimony from legalism. For instance, maybe you grew up in a church that was really, really legalistic, and you got to do this, this, and this, and you'll be saved. And if you get baptized in this church, and you'll be saved. And if you do this, this, and that over here, you get saved. You're in this legalistic thing, and then you come to realize the true free grace of the gospel, and then you're converted out of legalism. Sometimes you have situations like that, but then I want you to also see that there's even a draw to these things, even by genuine believers, to go from grace to license as well. We've seen that grace to legalism through this whole letter, but some believers are also drawn, even as Christians, towards this license. What do I mean? Well, when believers come to the realization that there is nothing that they can do to ever make them condemned before a holy God, if they're a true child of God, there's nothing that's going to take you out of the loving hands of God. And when they start seeing that their full hope of righteousness and acceptance before a holy God comes not by their own works or what they do, but by Christ's work alone on the cross for them, when they realize that Jesus really has paid it all, all of their sins past, present, and future, they realize that all their sins are covered by Jesus. You see, you want to know what can happen? There can be a temptation towards being lazy in the Christian life because of that radical, amazing, free grace of Jesus. We could be tempted to say in our minds, well, if Jesus did it all, he paid it all, I guess I can just coast. And if my sins really are covered and Jesus is my righteousness as well, I guess I can just go on and live an an, an okay, an okay average life for Jesus and I could just go on in my nominal living, living the nominal Christian life, uh, because I can't add anything to my justification anyways. Uh, this kind of thinking could creep in if we're not careful, but of course that's wrong thinking, isn't it? There's a lot of good works for us to be doing in the Christian life. Not to get our safe, uh, ourselves saved by our works, of course, But because we have been saved, we want to do good works for the glory of God and the cause of the gospel. Do you see where that motivation is there for a true believer? As Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Do you see that? Talking about believers. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has a plan for you and the good works that you should walk into. Not to get you saved, but because you are saved, living for his glory. And that we are also to love one another as Christ loved us to fulfill the law of Christ, as we'll see later in future sermons in this series. And that we will also, we need to remember things like this, that there are eternal rewards that we should care about as we saw from the Sermon on the Mount, not doing things to be seen seen by others so that we can kind of get our reward here on earth, but to be seen by an audience of one, God himself, to glorify him and enjoy him forever as the saying goes. We should be living with these kinds of motivations as Christians. We have so much to live for. 
Not to mention there are unbelievers who are perishing. So we want to give them the gospel. Unbelievers in this town, unbelievers in our state, unbelievers in our nation, and unbelievers all over the world. We should be motivated to that. If we're lazy and careless and could not care about those things, that's revealing something in our hearts that's, that's sinful. It's kind of that licentious living that just says, well, I'm saved. It doesn't matter how I live. We don't want to be like that. Paul is warning about that. And did you know this, church? There are believers, real life, converted believers, young and old, who right now are shriveling up in a discipleship famine and drought that we have in our day. Just look around. Uh, Christian resources are the most popular in our day, and they're the most void of gospel reality, and they're just pop psychology or self-help, worldly thinking packaged up and called Christian, but that is not what Christianity is, and we should want to, as a church and as believers, to see people young and old, children in our home or outside of our home or at this church or in our town, uh, people older, we, we should want to see people growing in Jesus, and we should want to be pointing them to Jesus, all motivated by love, like we saw last week, and we're seeing again today. That is our heart. Is that your heart. I hope it is your heart. There's too much to be doing than being legalistic or licentious in our living. We need to think through what is a biblical approach to the Christian life. As we just read together, we are not to be slaves to the law by going back under the bondage of the old covenant Mosaic law. But Paul says something so drastically that we read that you may not have caught before and it should be shocking to us as it was shocking to them let's see it again in galatians chapter 5 and verse 13 i want you to see this as we read it slowly for you were called to freedom brothers only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but see what he says instead of that but through love serve one another. He says you're not supposed to be slaves to the law. That's the whole book of Galatians. But be slaves to one another even. Slaves to each other by serving one another like slaves even. In and through love. The word that we see there, serve, is the same word that a servant or slave is, is, is used as it relates to what they're doing. It's this service. It's this commitment to this, this slave. It's the same exact word. We are not to be slaves, of course, like Hagar under the law, putting ourselves in bondage, but we are to be servant-hearted, giving our lives through love to others and bondage to our requirement to love other Christians. God has called us He's chosen us in love, as Ephesians 1 says. And he loves us so much that he might choose us. And he chooses us in love. And then, as we just saw in Ephesians 2, it says, for even the good works of love that we might do are prepared or, or chosen or predestined for us by God in love that we might walk in them before we were even born. He wants us to love. He wants us to serve. It's all over the scriptures. It's all in Jesus' life as we saw today in, in Sunday school. It literally is what being a Christian is that is serving through love. We fulfill the law of Christ 
through loving others in these ways. This is so crucial for us, church. For me, your pastor, for every last believer here, we are to freely choose to willingly become slaves to one another in an urgent, serving, compelling even requirement and duty for each and every one of us to love and serve one another. We're bound by that kind of love for each other. Here's my question for all of us. Are are you, are we free in that way? Free to love. Free to serve and in our service. Do you see it even as your duty and your calling and your prime requirement here at FBC Gallatin to love others by serving members of this very church? Do you feel that? Is that that in your heart? If you're a believer, it should be in your heart. Are you practically working hard to have loving thoughts and a loving disposition, brotherly love towards others here in this church by working out your differences and praying for one another for each other's good? It's been said many times before. You can't have bad thoughts and feelings for someone if you're praying for them and for their Good. Grab a membership or church membership directory or bullet. Find out who are members of this church. Think about who's in your Sunday school. Look at them. Pray for them. Lift them up in prayer. It will change your heart towards one another. It's such a blessing to do. If we're praying for their good, we will love and serve them. Are you doing that? Are we doing that? Are we a slave in our freedom to willingly choose as our calling in life and purpose at this church to love and serve other blood-bought Christians here in this church and in this town and our community. I hope we are. Because if we are not, or if you are not, you're in danger. You're in danger of potentially not being a believer. And as we saw last week, you're acting more like an unbeliever than you are a believer if you are backbiting and doing these types of things and showing hate and and gossip and things of that nature. Uh, You may say that you love your brother, but as 1 John said, as we saw last week, in reality, you just hate your brother because brothers and sisters love each other by their words to each other, by our words when they're not there, by our thoughts in our hearts, by our action towards them. If there's anything else in reality, at least in that moment, that person is lying. That person is not being a brother as we saw from 1 John. But also, as we saw last week, there's great hope for those of us who find ourselves in that season or in that place. Because Christians are those who actually love one another by the way that they act and think and talk about other believers in their church. So I just want to call us all and remind us all to these basics of turning away from this careless sinning, as this point has been putting forward, and pursuing practical love and a heart of service for others as we become uh, not in bondage to the law, but in bondage to love our brothers and sisters in Christ 
Oh, I want to call us all to that and remind us of that. And I think you'll see that all throughout the scripture, and especially as we saw this morning in Sunday school, in the life of Jesus Christ himself. And more to that in a minute, but this leads us now to the second half of our sermon. And this second point, and that is to see this further contrast, point number two, not angry, hateful, selfish, biting, but love of God and neighbor, biting. Look with me in your Bibles at Galatians 5 and verses 14 and 15 for this. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So in contrast, we just saw how Christians are supposed to love and service. Now we see the other side, that cannibal-like tendency that Christians can fall into if we're not careful. Why? Because of sin and the flesh. We'll discuss more sin and the flesh next week in our sermon, contrasting the spirit and the flesh. But for now, let's just focus in on this aspect of Christian cannibalism uh, and to clarify this point uh, so that we would know where we're going and what the passage reveals to us. And just to be clear from the sermon title point, we all know what biting is, right? When we uh, eat food every day, we bite into something. We understand what biting is, uh, but sometimes we might not think so much about this other aspect of that sermon point and the word bide or biting. Of course, that word means to remain or stay somewhere. So this point here, final point of our sermon, is really straightforward. Stop biting and eating and consuming each other. Stop being Christian cannibals, Paul is saying. And instead, though, remain or bide or stay in the love of God and others. That's, that's what we're seeing here. And so let's see this aspect here of Christians eating or consuming one another. Christian cannibalism. It's a little absurd to even use those words together, but I I think it's right there in the text. But here's the thing, just to be clear, as, as you all know, the Galatians weren't literally in danger of becoming characters in the silence of the lambs or some savage remote island situation, for instance, where people actually ate or eat each other. That's, that wasn't the danger here, not at all. That is not what is a reality for the Galatians. Although, I, I, w- I would like to say this, I've been thinking about this as it relates to this topic. There are tribes and missionaries who have been sent on certain fields where they have come in contact with savage heathen Areas where they were uncivilized and also practiced this kind of thing of actual cannibalism. And even these missionaries were in danger of being eaten by people on the mission field. You can read the autobiography of John G. Patton, who was a missionary to the New Hebrides, for accounts of that. And here's a real quick quote to hopefully pique our interest on this reality. Here's a quote from that. He says, Recall what the gospel has done for the near kindred of these same aborigines. On our own anadium, 
3,500 cannibals have been led to renounce their heathenism. In Fiji, 79,000 cannibals have been brought under the influence of the gospel. In Samoa, 34,000 cannibals have, been, have professed Christianity. Then, on our new Hebrides, more than 12,000 cannibals have been brought to sit at the feet of Christ. Amazing if you think about that. But, but, but back to the point. Obviously, Paul is being metaphorical here and warning not against actual cannibalism, though, of course, I guess, yeah, that would apply too. But, but sadly, as we see from our passage, what he's warning and what he's showing is that cannibals aren't only on some remote savage island or islands, but also metaphorically in our churches. And really, this whole issue of legalism or license points us to tendencies where Christians can get at each other in sinful, cannibalistic ways, even in our churches. In prideful boasting and legalism, this is how it is, this is how we should live, this is what we should do, this is what you should do. These aren't biblical rules, these are their own rules, these are legalisms to live out, to be saved, or live out to somehow be a, a, a cut above everybody else, and you got prideful heart, that legalism, this kind of thing feeds into cannibalism. You must follow my rules and get in line or get out of the line. Or, on the other hand, it could also be this careless heart of license that that just don't give a rip about how they treat others and they have no conscience at all or they have a very seared conscience because they've swung so far to from legalism to license and now they just it's like they're not even bothered by any of their sin anymore including this kind of cannibalistic practice This cannibalism metaphor reminds us of Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't it? And his associating anger and hateful thoughts as being akin to actual physical murder. Remember we saw that in that series? The secret murder of anger where there are either inner, bitter, secret murderers in our hearts as we seethe, or angry, outer, explosive murders as we blow up on each other. We saw that. There's a connection there. And this also reminds us of James, even when he tells us that the tongue or our words can either light a whole field on fire or even turn big old massive ships in different directions. It says that right there. Let's look at James chapter 3 and verse 6 for this. It says, And the tongue is a fire and a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, set on fire by hell. We can also cut others down with our words like a sharp sword. As Proverbs twelve eighteen says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Of course, our speech doesn't cause actual forest fires and doesn't actually lop off heads or limbs as if we were in some arena. But sometimes, 
Christians can act like they are thrown together in a Roman Colosseum like a gladiator to battle it out with each other as Christians in our churches until the last man or woman is standing. And we, when we see this, sadly, we can see this even by the way that we talk to and treat each other in our church. And where the John G. Patton missionary biography highlights cannibals becoming Christians, some churches illustrate more how Christians act like cannibals, sadly. And we see this when harsh Christians interact with each other, even in a church of all places, and in church meetings, or at a potluck, or in between services. Or in our hearts as we call somebody up or meet with somebody up and we talk and we show the, the hatred and the harsh words and the sinful attitudes. We become cannibals in these ways. We cut each other down. We cause a fire. We can pull out our metaphorical swords or light that metaphorical match and chop down church member by church member or put the whole church up in flames metaphorically, by our words and actions and thoughts with each other. This is the warning here from this passage, the next few verses in our Galatians series. But the church is not the Colosseum. And the church is not some savage heathen island. Furthermore, the church is not a battle royale. The younger members of our church will probably connect more with this one. Everybody else, bear with me in this illustration. But for those of you who may have played a certain type of video game in this battle royale genre like Fortnite or PUBG or Call of Duty Warzone, which are all games, multiplayer games, where many characters parachute onto an island and it's every man or woman for themselves in this game and they fight it out until only one person is left standing, and that player who survives wins it all. You usually start with about 100 players and work your way all the way down to just one, fighting off opponents one at a time. People could enjoy that game. It might be fun for them, but when it comes to real life, that kind of thing is disastrous. Sometimes Christians can treat each other in the church like a battle royale. Or like the popular book series turned to movies, The Hunger Games. Or like The Lord of the Flies of old. Maybe you read that in school. I don't know. Eh, kind of survival of the fittest. Each person against everybody else to survive at all costs. Or even like that show Survivor where everybody pits each other against the others and makes alliances. And then ultimately only one is going to come out on top and only one is going to win. Sadly, sometimes the church could be creating factions like that, taking each other out one by one at the expense of everybody else for the for the benefit of just a few or one or whatever. Sometimes a church can be that way. But that is not the church. That is not Christianity but we can bite and devour one another with unkind words and hurtful cutting words and we can gossip about others in ways that show zero love and affection towards others we're talking about. We can even sometimes 
go out of the way to give the cold shoulder or the silent treatment or, as the kids say, ghost each other uh, with this bitter and avoidance and these types of things in our thoughts and minds. That can happen in churches. That's happened in churches. We can fight each other to the death in the Colosseum, so to speak. Or we can fight till the last person is standing on a remote island. Everyone is on their own to deal with them themselves. And we may blame it on personality or simply justify our own minds that they had it coming. We think, I wouldn't be talking about them, which is gossip, or saying those harsh things about them or to them if they just got it together and just fell in line and acted differently themselves. They're kind of forcing my hand, you could think. That's a justification. We do this in a variety of ways. If they were just more like me, or they just weren't the way that they are, why are they the way that they are? I wish they were more like me and thought more like me. You you, you could justify, I wouldn't have to bite and devour them. I, I wouldn't have to just let them have it or brutalize them. I would never do anything like that if they didn't already have it coming. But that's the problem, isn't it? And if we keep making excuses, we will never change. I don't care what the problem is. Excuse making leads to continued living and practice and thinking along that way. You're never going to change if you're making those excuses. And change we must or else we will consume one another as this passage reveals and churches can be just become a huge bloodbath of verbal carnage that will lead a church broken and dead if we're not careful. That's what it says. You bite and devour, you'll consume one another. What is that? But Christian cannibalism, this is a warning from the Apostle Paul to an unfaithful church that was going in a different direction. This is not like a normative, this is good and encouraging. No, he's, he's calling them away from that kind of thing. But let me encourage us all, church. There's another way. There's a different manner in which we can live. Instead of parachuting onto the island to kill and cut down, we can arrive on the island of a local church to build it up and build each other up with words in love. We can decide today to seek to fulfill the law of Christ by actually loving and being kind to one another and working things out with one another instead of shooting them or biting them or taking large chunks out of them with our every thought, word, and deed. There is another way, church. The passage gives us another way. We can turn our weapons of warfare to a different kind of weapon and a different kind of pursuit in our Christianity. A kind of living and thinking and acting that uses our words to build up instead of tear down or mow down. To build bridges instead of detonating bombs to blow them up and cripple them. To be more like Jesus who though being the very form of God, did not use his status to build himself up, but humbly to lay his life down for his friends. And by the way, friends who would betray him. And by the way, friends who were more like enemies prior to becoming friends. That's an amazing Jesus. To be like Jesus and love others in radical ways by giving himself up 
for them in thought, word, and deed. Jesus gave his life, not for the worthy, but for the ungodly. Jesus gave his life for sinners to transform them because he loved them. That's a powerful thing, isn't it? That's a powerful thing, church. Love is so much better and it's so much more of an, a, a better and effective weapon, so to speak, to even disarm the hardest of hearts. It's a kind of love and humility that changes lives, softens hearts, and is a great witness to a watching world as we know that the scriptures teach, that unbelievers will know that we are Christians not by how big of bites we take out of each other or how well we use our sniper rifle of our words to take each other down one by one. But, but by what? By our love for one another. Will we? At First Baptist Church, seek to use our energies to love one another as a church, in our church. Will we repent of the ways that we have participated in Christian cannibalism? Will we turn to Jesus, our example of humble living ourselves to glorify God by loving one another as slaves bound to the task of actually loving each and every member of our church by serving them in love? Not for angry, hateful, selfish biting, but love of God and neighbor biting. Let's pray to that end. Father, we thank you how your word meets us and reveals to us things that we never at face value saw or recognized. And your word speaks to so many different things and so many different hearts. Thank you for the ways in which Your love is demonstrated in this church. We pray for more love of brothers and sisters at this church. And we know that that's something that only you can do. And you can do it by the power of your word. And as we looked at your word and the truths of your word, oh Lord, and the implications of your word, would you help us to respond now? However you're leading us, respond in our hearts. Respond in ways to live like your son, to love others. God, would you do that amongst us? Would you continue to do that? I'm thankful for the way that that's happened in the history of our church. We just pray for more and more of it all the time for your glory and for each and every one of our good. We say this in Jesus' name, amen.